Well, good day and God bless all of you, wherever you are and however you're accessing today's program. Thank you for taking the time to join us for this week's edition of From Here to Eternity, a program dedicated to examining the wisdom of God as we search for directions and guideposts in our journey from here to eternal life. For the next five weeks, I'd like to use the Sunday Gospels for this season of Lent to offer us some clarity as to how we get from here to eternity. You know, in last Sunday's Gospel, we heard the story of the temptation of Christ in the desert. As we do every year, the first Sunday of Lent. Why does the church always use this Gospel, this piece of Scripture, to help us begin our Lenten journey? I think there are two reasons. The first is to remind us that the journey through this life toward our goal of Easter resurrection, we have an enemy working to separate us from the love of God. He is Satan. And secondly, there is a battle that rages within each of us. St. Paul says, For the flesh has desires against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. They are opposed to each other. In other words, sometimes we are the enemy of our own salvation, as the battle of good and evil rages within us. Let's begin to, by talking about the more obvious enemy, Satan. Make no mistake, Satan is real, and he is as active in our world as he has ever been. Both the Bible and the tradition of the church teach us that Satan was Lucifer, the greatest of all the angels that God created. But pride and envy caused him to rebel against God. As a result of this rebellion, Lucifer and the other fallen angels were cast from God's presence for all of eternity. St. Peter tells us that he has been waging war against God and his people since time began, that he scours the earth in search of souls that he might devour. He seeks to separate us from the love of God because he hates God, and because we are created in God's image and likeness, he hates us as well. He tempts us with the same weapons that he tempted Jesus with in the garden, in the desert, the desire for pleasure, for power, for possessions. He tempted Christ to satisfy the hunger in his soul with the pleasure that a loaf of bread would bring him at that moment. He tempted Christ to throw himself down and thus assume power for himself and not be patient and obedient to God's plan for his life. He tempted Christ to trade his soul for all the material blessings that this world has to offer. Christ turned to the Word of God to rebuke Satan, who departed from him for a time. But Satan would continue to try and disrupt God's plan for redemption throughout Christ's earthly mission. Remember, even Peter was scolded, Get behind me, Satan. In desperation, Satan will unleash all of his power on Good Friday in one brutal and final assault upon God and His people. But He will fail. On Easter morning, God's plan for the redemption of mankind will be complete, 
and sin and death will be defeated for all of eternity. And yet, Satan remains and continues to try and lead you and me astray. But his time will be up when Christ triumphantly returns. In the meantime, we are left with a clear choice. Like Christ in the desert, we can either accept or reject God's plan for our lives. But I would submit that in many ways, just like the Jews of Jesus' time, we also have rejected God's will in our time. I believe we are living in a time of spiritual and moral ruin, that we are standing at a crossroads, a decisive moment in human history, and God is warning us, just as He did ancient Jerusalem, of impending judgment. Pope Leo XIII understood this battle we are in all too well. He received a vision of the coming 20th century, a vision that I believe history has proven terrifyingly true. He saw Satan at the beginning of time allowed one century in which he could do his worst work, and Satan chose the 20th. This so terrified Pope Leo that he composed the prayer to St. Michael the Archangel, a prayer for the church to use throughout all of the 20th century of spiritual warfare that he foresaw. This prayer was known by every Catholic and prayed after every Mass until the 1960s, when it ceased to be a part of our regular practice. In the 50-plus years that have ensued, I would submit that we as a culture have listened to the lies of Satan, given in to the temptation, and turned our hearts from God. The result is that we are now living in a time of spiritual and moral ruin. We are rapidly destroying ourselves from within as we erode the foundation of this civilization, faith and trust in God. Pope St. John Paul II noted that more than in any other historical period, there is a breakdown in the process of handing on moral and religious values to the next generation. This disconnect between the generations, he said, can clearly be traced to the decay in the health of the family. In other words, we're struggling to hand the faith on to our children because we have listened to the lies. I would submit the following events to indicate just how much we have listened to the lies of Satan and given in to his temptation over the last 50 plus years. I believe the blame for this crisis of faith lays firmly at the feet of my generation, the baby boomers. In 1950, 80% of Catholics attended Mass weekly and went to confession at least once a year and only one in seven marriages ended in divorce. That same year, Playboy magazine was debuted. We desired to hand Christian values on to the next generation, but we began the process of allowing immorality to become socially acceptable in our nation. 
1960, prayer was removed from public schools and the divorce rate in our land climbed to one in five marriages. We said we desired to hand Christian values on to the next generation, and yet we allowed God to be removed from our schools. In 1970, widespread use of birth control had become the norm, and our culture and the divorce rate had climbed to one in every four marriages. We continued to say that we desired to hand Christian values on to our children, even as we openly dissented on a clearly articulated teaching of our church. By 1975, abortion had become legal and widely accessible, and the divorce rate had climbed to one in every three marriages. Once again, we said we desired to hand Christian values on to the next generation, but we allowed the murder of many of the children of those next generations by their own parents to become the law of our land. By 1980, no-fault divorce had become the norm in all 50 states, and the divorce rate had climbed to one in every two marriages. We still said we desired to hand Christian values on to the next generation, but as Christians, we chose to abandon our marriages at the same rate as the culture around us. By the turn of the century, cohabitation, same-sex unions, and eventually gay marriage are accorded the same status as the covenant bond of matrimony. And if you consider a cohabitating relationship or a same-sex union that ends equivalent to a divorce, the divorce rate in our nation has now grown to two of every three relationships. We say we desire to hand Christian values on to the next generation. And yet we allow the state to equate any form of living arrangement as the same as traditional marriage. No longer do 80% of us attend Mass weekly and confession at least yearly. Now it is only 20%. And if we, the statistics can be believed, we are seeing the rapid ruin of Christianity as we no longer truly practice the faith as a people. Now you may not be a baby boomer and you may claim no responsibility for those declines in our culture, but you and your children and your grandchildren are living with the consequences of the choices our culture has made. If the statistics are true, then I believe four out of five of us viewing this program have children and grandchildren who no longer practice the faith. In order to rescue our culture from its rapid decline, in order to fulfill our mission to God, in order to hand the faith on to the next generation, the first thing that we are called to commit to is to turn from the lies and the deception of Satan. But to do so, we must practice our faith as if it were 
the most important aspect of our lives. I believe that as a people of God, we are standing at a crossroads, a decisive moment in the history of our faith. And it is time that we all boldly stand up and proclaim to the world around us that as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. The second enemy of our salvation, as St. Paul tells us, is the battle between the spirit and the flesh that rages on in each of us. As humans created in the image and likeness of God, we are the only creatures that must fight this internal battle. God first created the angels, and they were created as spiritual beings. They have no flesh and bones. He then created the beasts, the animals, and they were created as flesh and bone, but they have no soul. Finally, God created man, and we are created to be a sort of hybrid. Flesh and bones, and yet, unlike the beasts, we are created with a spirit, like the angels. What makes us different from all the other living creatures is we have beastly or base desires, to be sure, but we also have angelic and heavenly desires. This battle within reminds me of a short parable. One evening, an old man told his grandson of a battle. He said, my son, there is a battle between two wolves inside us all. One is the flesh, which is prone to lies and promiscuity, to guilt and shame. The other is the spirit, which is prone to joy and peace, love and hope, humility and truth. The grandson thought about it for a moment, and then he asked his grandfather, which wolf wins the battle? The old man simply replied, the one you feed. As St. Paul describes this battle within, and as this parable reinforces, it would seem that the wolf to feed is the spirit, so that it can defeat the flesh. But I believe that is not the lesson for us today. We could make a list of qualities the flesh is prone to, like generosity, kindness, obedience, and service. And we could make a list of qualities the Spirit is prone to that include pride, selfishness, arrogance, and impatience. This would make it seem that it is the flesh that needs to be fed so that it can defeat the Spirit. Jesus of Nazareth was susceptible to the same temptations that you and I are. And He did not overcome these temptations through the Spirit destroying the flesh or the flesh destroying the Spirit but through the Spirit disciplining the flesh, while the flesh kept the Spirit grounded in humility. Finding a balance between the flesh and the Spirit is the key if we are to find this balance that we seek. If this were not so, if the flesh were in fact evil, then why, when Christ ascended back to heaven, did He keep His human body for all of eternity? Christ took His human nature, body and soul, to heaven to remind us that the flesh is just as holy as the Spirit. Here is what we need to understand. The tension between the flesh and the Spirit is not about defeating 
one or the other. It is about striking a balance. It is about avoiding the sins of each while enjoying the grace of each. Jesus fasts for 40 days in the desert and the church invites us to do the same every Lent because it is in this time of fasting that we are able to resist the temptations of the flesh and of the spirit. We were created in the image and likeness of Jesus as flesh and blood, but with a spiritual dimension. Two natures, but one being. May we follow in the footsteps of our Savior and learn to strike and maintain a balance between the two. May we spend this Lenten season fighting Satan and all his lies through the disciplines of prayer and fasting that Jesus models for us in the desert. May we become a people who are no longer satisfied with just going through the motions. May we renounce our hunger for power, for pleasure, for possessions, because they tempt us to compromise our loyalty to God in order to satisfy them. May we stop watering down our faith and return wholeheartedly to the teachings of the church. May we rekindle our belief in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. May we be willing to endure hardship and sacrifice in order to witness to our faith. And may we put the pursuit of eternal life above the passing pleasures of this world. May we dare to make a difference in our family, in our church, and in our world. I'd like to thank all of you who've made a commitment to this goal of fasting, of finding the way from here to eternity, but also leading others on the journey as well. It is my hope that God continue to rain down his blessings upon you and your family, and it is my prayer that he grant you the wisdom and understanding to see clearly the path that he has placed before us, and that mercy and forgiveness that we all so frequently need as we stumble along the way. Be sure to join us for our next presentation of From Here to Eternity. Until then, continue to glorify the Lord by your life.